Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, uh, welcome hey. to the podcast. Father John, my good friend, my good, good buddy, Joe Doman. Thanks, man. From the Doman clan of Philadelphia. I'm going to Mexico on Monday for five weeks, and I'm, I think I'm more anxious about that than, than I was about any of my finals. So even though I've done my finals, I'm still just kind of like, ah, I hate my life right now. Well... You can't have as bad an experience in Mexico as I did uh, three summers ago. That is probably true. I was sick the whole month, and uh, Nathan Goebel was up on tables singing Shakira songs. He was like a rock star, and I was just the quiet, awkward dude in the corner. Yeah, refusing to speak Spanish. No, trying to speak Spanish, trying to understand what the hell was going on. <laughs> and uh, they were always like, why is your friend so quiet? And it's like, because he's the dumb one. Which is awesome, because Which John is, is not the quiet friend. Not the quiet as friend. you might all know. But uh, today's topic... All right, and we're beginning kind of a marathon of podcasts today because Joe's leaving. That's so right. So we got to kind of crank them out. And so um, quality is going to be gone. You know, if you thought it's impossible for the quality to actually get less, <laughs> well, we're going to show you we'll that buckle you're up. wrong. Buckle up. Because <laughs> you are wrong. Oh, and we have to apologize as well. I don't think – when's the last time we've published one? Because we uh, haven't had one out in a couple weeks. I think it's been two weeks. Sorry Ouch. about that. But yeah. Stronic was so good that uh, – You need some time to digest yeah, that. We just sure. wanted to give you an extra week to just, you know, savor the goodness. It was all so, intentional. Yeah, right. Well, we uh, we got through kind of a crazy time, but um, – Wanted to do this topic today because um, well we got a lot of news and a lot of a lot of change in the last couple months. That's right. So uh, Deacon Joseph is going to Mexico mm-hmm. under obedience, and uh, which is a good thing. And I am leaving Boulder, Colorado. That's right. John yeah. is no longer. We're no longer going to be recording. In fact, this is probably this our is past our, last our session last, of podcast. In last Boulder. session in the basement of the rectory in Boulder, and then we will move to an undisclosed location uh, to continue this. Uh, to be ridiculous, decided. ridiculous uh, project that we have undertaken. So yeah, I'm uh, leaving Boulder, my native place, and I'm going to Aurora, Colorado. Saudi Aurora. Saudi Aurora, as we call it. Aurora's on the east side mm-hmm. of uh, Denver, and um, it's a very interesting place. Kind of, uh, it's one of these uh, areas of Denver, probably the biggest that has just exploded in mm-hmm. terms of Hispanic communities. So I think it's up to like 300,000 people now in Aurora. It's the third biggest city in Colorado. It was on the news. National news recently because of the theater shootings. Right. So a lot of people probably heard that name. If it's about 20 minutes. You'll be about 20 minutes from downtown Denver, right? Yeah, 20 minutes east of downtown. If you remember that shooting in August, uh, the Batman shooting, that's about two minutes from my parish. Oh, wow. And my parish is gigantic. It's um, 8,000 families. That so is obscene. my parish now is 800 families, so I'm going to a place that's 10 times the size, half Hispanic, so I can't talk to half of them. <laughs> That'll be awkward. And uh, I'm going to be the ultimate gringo. But they said if you try, they love you for it. That's what everybody says. You already are the ultimate gringo. The ultimate gringo. Uh, pasty white skin. Hey, come on, man. I got a sunburned face from climbing. Oh, we've had such beautiful I'm trying to savor and do all the hikes outside of Boulder that I wanted to do. And now I have like a month left. That's right. So it's like I got to get them all done. So, yeah, I'm going to show up with my sunburned, pasty white face and um, try and speak Spanish. And uh, it's going to be crazy. It is going to be crazy. But he's going to be living with three other priests, which would yep. be awesome. Yeah, which would be great. New pastor. Yep. And so we got uh, obedience dealing with that. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little about that today. And then we got obedience. We're, we're part of this kind of community of priests. And um, we've been asked that seminarians not be a part of it for a while, the Companions of Christ. So Joe, yes. who is one of my dear friends, and Deacon Nathan, um, will not be formally a part of the association until they're priests in a year. Mm-hmm. So that's another obedience thing. These are all things obedience against our will, but somehow we're trusting in God's providence. That's so right. That's that. 
A lot of obedience in our life right now. A lot of obedience. Holy and, obedience. Uh, we're at a good place with it, but yeah, let me tell you, at least from my perspective, it was a rough couple days usually afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, so what I want to talk about today is um, obedience in the scriptures. All right. And then I want to go into the history of how obedience works in the religious life slash priestly life and uh, talk a little bit about well, how does this work in family life? That's what I – yeah, that's that's my question, but we'll, well save that, that towards the end. That's where I am least informed, oh, obviously. I'm, I'm an expert in all things that don't matter to anybody, <laughs> like Balthazar. And uh, so I'll, I'll tell you all kinds of things about obedience in the religious life. But what does that actually have to do with your family life? I don't know. Right. So we're going to start in the scriptures. All right, okay. cool. That's a good place to start. Yeah, start in the scriptures. I got my uh, blueletterbible.com. This is an amazing uh, website if you've ever uh, – if you've ever uh, needed to look up Greek words or something like some super nerdy stuff. But when you think of obedience, what's the first scripture you think of? Um, Jesus, uh, Philippians 2 is what I think of. Boom. Okay. Philippians 2. Though he's in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God, something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. So obedience is in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, well, obedience he, unto death. Uh, yes. Death on a cross. <laughs> obedience so, to what he suffered. So what's interesting is that the... The word obedience, okay, huper ake, or something akuo. like that. Akuo. Akuo, Hupo, no, hupa akue. Okay, whatever. That's the a- infinitive. Hup- I would I would just use a lexical form. No, uh, you, you you would use the infinitive. I, I just, you know, uh, use the noun form. So anyways, that's, that, that word is found 14 times in the New Testament, all in the Pauline literature. Hmm, okay. I didn't know that. So the notion of obedience, as we're seeing it biblically, is Pauline. Okay. Mm. Are you gonna are you gonna break apart that word? No, go ahead. Oh, it's so cool. Under the hearing, yeah. So akuo is the word for to hear, listen, understand, obey. Uh, so when you hear in the scriptures, "Hear, O Israel," yeah. like "Listen up, O Israel," that word in the Septuagint would be akuo. Yeah, that's what akuo is. Hupo is a prefix meaning under. Did we do this podcast? Uh, maybe. It sounds really familiar. <laughs> this is a refresher if we did this one a couple of months ago. That's right. Okay. If it, we can't remember, you probably don't remember. There either. will be some new content, I promise. But I just have this suspicion as we're starting to speak that I'm like, wait a second. I think we already did this. <laughs> uh, okay. So right. Um, anyways, that's that's that. That's 14 times. Though he is in the form of God, blah, 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 obedience unto death. Philippians 2. The other one I often think of, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Hmm. Bam. Mothane, pothane. Right. To suffer is to learn. To that. learn and to suffer. But that's hupoakuo, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's one word in the New Testament. And then there's another one that often gets translated as obedience, but it's actually a different Greek word. Think of Luke chapter 2, right? He disappears. They're looking for him. It's a mystery of the rosary, finding in the temple. Temple. Very good. Right. Yeah. So that, that's called figure out what I'm thinking in my <laughs> head. Uh, the finding the temple, and he was obedient unto them, mm. is what some translations say. That's a different word. That's hupotasso. Oh. Under the command, tossing. Right? Oh, yeah. So that means more like submission or um, subordination hmm. in some way, right? And right. this is the same one uh, and all the directives about marriage or family, be submissive to one another as Christ is to the church, right? Which Remember one is that? that? Is Ephesians. that hupotasing? Hupotasing. Okay. So that's more like... And in First Peter, it talks about wives be submissive to your husbands. There's different areas about that. The, the notion of... Mutually submitting to one another. So basically what I've what I'm gonna just make this claim, and I don't know if this is theologically correct, but it seems to me that 
Um, when we deal with Christological obedience, it's hupoakuo. Okay. Mm. And that doesn't mean just Christ, but that means me, you entering into the obedience of Christ to the father. Right. That's Paul's term. Mm-hmm. So our obedience because of our baptism, participating in Christ is exactly. hupoakuo, the yeah. same obedience that Christ had. Exactly. So baptismal consecration to Christ demands obedience to the father through him, through his will. Mm. Likewise, um, priestly consecration would demand that, or religious consecration. We'll talk about that in a second. But then it seems to me anything in the lay state, okay, anything dealing with marriage life, with the family, children, even political rulers, mm-hmm. and it's about 30 times that this is used in the New Testament, hupo, tasso, mm. submission. So there's a distinction between obedience and um, submission. Right. Or, or subordination mm-hmm. in the New Testament. Between I think that's hupo and hupo tossing. Yes. So I think that's interesting. That okay. is interesting. So we're going to come back to that in family life in a bit. Is hupo akuo, is that only in reference, do we only have that kind of obedience to God and yes. the other kind of obedience, hupo tossing, we have to non deity? Yeah, I don't know. Kind of figuring that out. I right. mean, but I, but I think that's basically where we're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Christ is obedient to his father. He's submissive to his parents. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Got so it. that's kind of all I got right now. If I'm following you, I'm sure they're following you. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so that's basically that. We'll we'll come back to family life, marriage life, and kind of trying to figure this out. And again, I, this isn't. We don't have the answers here. Just kind of stumbled across this and was and, and thought it was interesting. I already told you about it in a podcast, I guess. And <laughs> here we are talking about it again. But what I want to do now is I want to jump into. Um, religious and priestly obedience, mm. because that's what we're dealing with right now, right? That Bishop, is true. And Bishop. it's and it's important, I think, for people to... I think this is kind of in some ways a hot topic, something that's not understood, because obedience, our culture is so much about freedom right. and kind of doing your own thing. Right. And obedience seems to go so contrary to that. Right. And how is, how is there joy and freedom and real life in obedience? You yes. know? So this might be able to speak to that, which would be cool. Yeah, for sure. Because <clears throat> obedience is... it's. It's painful, mm-hmm. and if it's not painful, then you're like an you're like a droid or something. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, it the will is dying, right? And, and uh, that's part of what we signed up for. Now, when Joe knelt down in his ordination, and when I did as well, the bishop said, "Do you promise obedience to me and my successors?" Right? And that's hupoakuo. I mean, that's obedience. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we said, "Yes, I do." And now we're living that out. So, um, but the problem is for priests. Right, I'm talking about diocesan priests here. Um, obedience is a very vague thing. It mm. basically means whenever I get a phone call to take a new assignment, then I'm obedient. Right. So maybe once in two years mm. I'm obedient. Once in twelve years I'm obedient. Whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Whenever the bishop calls, I got to go. So it's right. a very, very limited legalistic understanding of obedience. Sounds more like submission. It's submission. It's a canonical obedience, separated from the from the theological foundation. Right. And so certain. Groups of us, like ourselves, have tried to endeavor to understand what is obedience in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And the way we do that, so basically what I'm saying is that diocesan priesthood right now is in a crisis of understanding what obedience is. Right. And so one of the tasks that we have to do as diocesan priests, if we want to cultivate a deep like spirit of obedience and virtue of obedience, living it as a council instead of as a kind of canonical directive every couple of years, and as long as we kind of avoid the bishop and do our thing, we don't have to be obedient. Right. If we want to avoid that, which is what's that's kind of the mainstream problem, we got to go back to the tradition. Mm-hmm. Okay, which brings me to our good friend Saint Ignatius of Loyola, Hola. founder of the Hola. Look at you; you're already learning your Spanish. Well, he's from Spain. He's from Spain. So this conversation, um, and what led me to this, this is a letter from Saint Ignatius um, 
and it's called Defining Obedience as an Ideal. Mm. Yeah. And we have an obedience, uh, we have an ideal called obedience that we try and live with. And so uh, what I did was, the first thing I did, I was kind of confused from talking to Jesuits about, like, wh- what is a Jesuit understanding of obedience? Because right. obe- Ignatius says, obedience of a corpse, right? And then Dr. Lills, a couple weeks ago, our professor said, I think what you're looking for as diocesan priests, what you're trying to cultivate in a deeper way is a Dominican approach to obedience mm-hmm. versus a Jesuit approach to obedience. And you're saying, what the heck does that matter? But what, but basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to kind of locate the diocesan priesthood and find the tradition again, uh, which is being more radically lived out in religious communities right now. Mm. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through uh, this letter real quick and talk about the different grades of obedience according to Ignatius and then show you how the Dominican one is different and how we got to this point. Sure. Okay. So Ignatius writes this letter to these guys. Obviously, they're struggling. This is 1548. So this is uh, 15 years, I think, after the foundation of the order. I don't know. They just made that up. And so he says there's three grades of obedience. First grade. And this is all from my friend, Father Austin Lickie. OP. Dominican. OP. So this is a slanted approach, mm. but I uh, I trust him. <clears throat> he's, he's solid. Number one. Yes. External submission. Mm-hmm. And submission is obviously dangerous because we're saying that, but an external expression of one's obedience. Right. Right. That is what's demanded to fulfill the vow for the religious or to fulfill the promise for the priest. Right. right? So when, when the bishop says, you're going to go to Saudi Aurora, yep. you go. I go. Regardless of anything else. That's, and I say, that's external and, obedience. And when I got the call, I said, well, the first thing I said is, you understand how horrible my Spanish is, right? And they said, yes. And I said, please <laughs> tell the bishop. It was the vicar for clergy. And I said, please tell the, the bishop I'm honored to serve in his diocese. Boom. Mm-hmm. obedience, right? External submission. When we got the letter from the seminary saying, you guys can't be, uh, seminaries can't be a part of the association, we wrote and we said, we accept this, we hope we can pray for each other, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right? Obedience. External submission. Got it. That fulfills the law. That fulfills all righteousness, but that's not enough. That's just mm-hmm. the surface level. That's number one. So if you're doing that, you're in a good place, right? A lot right. of people aren't doing that in, in religious life and diocesan life. That's number one, basic. Mm-hmm. Second one, is the conformity of the will, okay? So this is obedience on a deeper level. This is the level of the virtue, okay? Right. I can just say, fine, and just suck it up and just go into Aurora, blah, blah, blah. Or I can say, all right, I need to go deeper and try and conform my will, trusting that there's a grace given Hmm. and and that there's providence at work here and that my will can actually be transformed into this in a deeper way, Hmm. okay? That's the second level. Which is a lot harder. Which is really hard. So do but you, there's so much freedom in that. I must mm-hmm. say, God gives a lot of grace for that. And um, I've, I've just found, like, I got through the shock and the pain and the grief of all of it. And then you realize, like, I'm radically free. Mm. And my and my uh, my promise means something. Like, it means something right now. Right. I'm leaving everything that I love here. All these, I'm saying goodbye to people that I just love, all my college students, and I'm going somewhere that I know no one. That makes sense. I remember uh, reading Balthazar on... Freedom and obedience, the dynamic between the two, mm-hmm. how can you have freedom and obedience? And he's talking about the obedience of Christ, and he says how Christ transfers his uh, his will into the will of the Father. He conforms his will to the Father, and so the freedom he experiences in obedience is the freedom of the Father's choice. Interesting. Like, so, like, um, he, you know, uh, the person who is being obedient might not feel free because they're doing something else that somebody else says, but that somebody else is someone that they love and they trust and who is free and who knows more. Right. Uh, and so he transfers his will to the father's trusting in him. And he, 
participates in the freedom of the father in choosing where he goes. And right. so in some sense, it sounds like this is like conforming the will is like transferring your will to the will of God in the person of your superior, right. the bishop. And have, and there's freedom that comes from that because God is free, ultimately. Right. Now, I, and I have to trust that like an apostle just missioned me somewhere else. You right. Know? And he just sent me. And, and he is a successor of the apostles. Mm-hmm. And I, I just to trust that despite humanity and whatever – that this is real. Right. And there is radical freedom in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it, it's only in the Christian life where like the surrendering of one's freedom, uh, is the experience of true freedom, mm-hmm. right? When that's surrendered to God. Um, and my self will is killed basically. Right. So that's, it's a really exciting thing. It's really beautiful. And it's really, and diffi- it can be painful. It's but- really painful and difficult, but it's, it's also really beautiful. And I hope they've felt that when I've talked to people about it here, that, that I want to convey the pain and the difficulty, but also like the, absolute joy mm-hmm. that comes with this freedom you know, that I'm experiencing in obedience. So that's conformity of the will and obedience properly discussed by St. Thomas as a virtue and as a counsel is when obedience is, um, it, it, it's the rendering of one's will. It's, it's, I'm renouncing the good of my will, the capacity to choose where do I want to live? What do I want to do? Which, where do I want to hike outside of Boulder? Blah, blah, blah. I'm renouncing that. Right. Surrendering that. So that's that's the second level. Third level, this is the, the deepest level, mm-hmm. right? This is where he says, true obedience, and this is from the letter, true obedience does not subject only actions to the superior, but also wishes, and not only wishes, but also opinions. Hmm. The third level is the conformity of the mind, right? For St. Ignatius, it's not enough to just conform the will to say, right. I actually chose, but actually to literally conform my mind, my intellect, and my will can demand that of the intellect mm-hmm. to say, I actually now think this is the right thing to do. I choose, Not only to, do I choose, I choose to, to agree with. I choose to say decision. this is the best decision. Mm-hmm. That's where the Jesuit and the Dominican tradition. Yeah, diverge. Depart. That's where they diverge. Mm-hmm. Good Dominicans would say that is not expected or demanded, and it's actually harmful to the humanity and the integrity of the person. Which I think is really interesting. And what Dr. Lillis was offering was <clears throat> that's the way you need to go. Right. Which means that I can say, and I should say, in, in the Dominican life, they call it a presentation, I believe. i got to get all this right from Father Alston. He's going to listen to this, too. Um, where they can, they have a forum within the community where they can offer this, all right? They can say, this is, um, I, I think for these reasons, this is the wrong decision. But I still submit this, and I'll still conform my will to this. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I can say, this is the wrong decision. I think this is, in my opinion, this is the wrong decision. I've prayed about this. I think this is the wrong thing. Right. Um, but I, I'm still absolutely going to be obedient. Exactly. And it's not a violation of my obedience to disagree with the decision. Right. In fact, and that there can be grace that comes from suffering that disagreement, from thinking, I know, I, you know, in my discernment, in my prayer, and in my thought, this is the wrong decision. I think this other plan B is the right decision. But I'm going to go with plan A. I'm going to be obedient externally. And to suffer that uh, disagreement, mm-hmm. doing something knowing that or being convinced that it's the wrong decision can actually be a source of grace. And it's like almost like a wound that Christ can use yeah. to pour grace into it and actually maybe lead things, lead your superior's decision towards the right decision, or if not, at least to sanctify your own soul. Yeah. But it can be a beautiful thing to suffer yeah. for the sake of the church and for the sake of whatever situation you're talking about. Right. And so um, at this point, we see real divergences. So I want to go dig a little deeper into this. Sure. So where does St. Ignatius get this notion? Well, he gets this this phrase called, 
One should have the obedience of a corpse. Gets that from St. Francis of Assisi. Hmm. Interesting, huh? So this notion of like the complete... What does that mean? It means... Um, the I corpse think it doesn't have a will? Doesn't have Forming a- of the mind and will. I mean, just everything. Mm-hmm. Just completely... I mean, it almost sounds zombie-like. You yeah. Know, just like... Well, yeah, it does. The, the grace will just kind of zap you and you do it. Right. Now, um, but that's interesting. It comes from the Franciscan tradition. Where is Dominic getting his notion of this? Well, the Dominicans only take one vow, which is obedience. Right. Everything is contained in that one vow. And Dominic was a canon, right? Yep. And so where did they get that from? Well, the rule of St. Augustine, hmm. right? Which is a rule from the 4th century, which governs secular clergy, right? So as diocesan priests, our, our fundamental point looking back is to um, the rule of St. Augustine, a bishop who developed a rule for his priest, which mm-hmm. the Dominicans are living out. Versus the Jesuits, who took it from Francis, who got that from the Benedictine monastic. Right. That's more of a monastic approach. So we, as diocesan priests, share with the Dominicans a common tradition in this sense. In the rule of St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to look at the last 800 years and say, how have the Dominicans expressed and developed this notion of obedience? And how can we return to a deeper theological understanding of obedience? I think that's our model. Now, with that being said, the Jesuits nowadays have a much more... I hate to say this, Dominican approach to obedience mm. in the sense that it's very dialogical. And Grons, Father Gronsky said, in my spiritual story, he said it took us centuries to get away from that notion of obedience of a corpse, that it just was not, it was actually really destructive in some ways. Right. So it's an interesting time, and these are interesting things to think about. Huh, that is an interesting time. So what is, uh, how are you going to bring this back to family life? Or Well, but first what? we got we to bring it back into um into Christ. You're at 22, Why? by the way. Whoa! Okay. <laughs> We're not going to bring it back into Christ. We're going to go to family life. So, basically, what I would say to families and to the we pe- can talk about people Jesus in the lay state, want. we will at the end, how's okay. that sound? Sure. Is that none of this, this cannot be directly tied over to marriage and family life. This not is, directly. This is unique to the, the consecration of the religious and priestly state. This All this language of obedience. I think we have to go back to the scriptures and say, by your baptism... You have to share in an obedience to Christ, but the language is different. It's mm-hmm. submissive to one another. Children submissive to the husband or to the uh, parents, and that kind of thing. So there's like the what the governs the praxis and the activity of the family life in in itself is not obedience proper. So I guess what I'm saying is, don't import religious obedience into your family, right? And don't demand religious obedience mm-hmm. into your family. But that threefold thing that uh, Ignatius is talking about has to be played out in the interior life, in the relationship in Christ. Right. So you're a married man. Well, by your baptism, you, you live a life of obedience. But in your marriage and in your family life, it's different. It's of a different order. Mm-hmm. And that obedience to Christ has to inform the way that you live mutual submission to one another out of selfless love. But it has to look very differently. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it has to. That's all I got. That's all you got. I got nothing more. I don't really understand what – I have no idea what that looks like. What is what is an authentic and healthy submiss- life of, of mutual submission look like in a family? Mm-hmm. I, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm sorry to say that. And how do you how do you have a relationship of obedience? And what does obedience look like for a married man? I have I, I have no idea. This this is, again, where I punt and I say I'm, I'm not particularly helpful. Well, in, in you have pres- a lot of siblings. In Presbyter Mordenese, which is the Vatican II document on the priestly life, when it talks about obedience, it does talk about this kind of obedience to your superior and unity of the church by obeying the hierarchy and all those things. But it also talks obedience about your your uh, obedience to the daily tasks and duties that are entrusted to you for the bishop from the bishop. 
And I think there's something analogous with the family life because anybody who's married knows that their life is full of things that they might not rather do, uh, but they are they're called to do out of love and they have to be obedient to their state as a husband. Uh, I don't know if you can call it an office, but that, that the, the role of a spouse, uh, is one that demands everything. Right. It demands total self gift. Uh, it demands, you know, a poverty where you can't, you know, you can't take all the vacations you want and live a bachelor's life. It demands obviously chase love to your spouse and it demands an obedience to the, the, the obedience that's demanded by love. Uh, the, the, um, giving up of your will, for the sake of the other, to your children, you know, who have to get up in the middle of the night to do whatever, and you have to take care of them. You have to die to yourself constantly and be obedient to your role as a husband, uh, your role as a as a father, as a mother, as a wife, all those things. So there's a there's a implicit do- obedience that's just part of being married because it's part of love. Love love demands everything. It demands poverty, chastity, and obedience in different forms, and it'll look different than it does in religious life or in the priestly state. But in the in the lay state, in the married state. Um, there, you're being called by love uh, to be disposed of yourself, of your possessions, of your of your lusts, of your body, and of your will in all different ways. But there's an obedience that's demanded by the by the married state, and anybody who's married knows that. That there's times throughout their life where they have to say, "Lord, not 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 my will, but your will be done." Uh, whether that's something that's out of their control or something where it's you're dialoguing with your spouse about a decision to make with your family or whatever. Um, but I do think but, that it's it's definitely a part of people's lives. I don't know how to frame it otherwise though i guess what i would suggest is that the man and the woman are one flesh hmm. so the reason we don't have the language of obedience with between their one another they're not a man's not obedient to the wife and wife obedient to the there there's a mutual submission it, it just it's a different language because it's it's one reality i'm not one flesh with the bishop right, right? he's a hierarchical position he's in an office that i participate in his life the woman does not participate in the man's baptismal consecration, hmm. right? They, they, they're united in that. And so um, I think if we want to move forward into an authentic kind of complementarity between men and women and not kind of propose any form of kind of a patriarchal thing, but also authentically show the distinction of roles, hmm. the language of submission is better than obedience. And you're right, but it has to be kind of worked out in the dialogue of, of the one flesh union, so to speak, and all of that being brought into relationship and being ori- organized and purposeful right. because both of them as a one flesh are submitting that to Christ in obedience. No, I think that's beautiful. I think it does have to be worked out. Does and that make sense, though? It does make sense. And uh, Gaudium et Spes 22 is a thing John, the Paul, John Paul II would quote all the time about how Jesus Christ reveals to man uh, himself, reveals man uh, what man is. Um, and so if you look, by meditating, up, meditating upon the obedience of Christ, I think this becomes more clear in your own life. Like Christ says, you know, all um, all that I have I've received from the Father, and he's perfectly obedient, and my food is to do the will of the Father. But he also says, all that I ask of the Father, the Father gives me. You know, there is even in, within the Trinity in the relationship between Christ and the Father, there seems to be a kind of dialogue. Right. You know, Christ submitting to the will of the Father, but the Father also submitting to the wishes and desires of the Son. Right. Um, and... How does that look? I don't know. But I do think I would just point people who are seeking uh, a, a fuller expression of obedience in their married life, look to Christ and meditate on his relationship with the Father, because I think there's incredible fruits to kind of draw from that. Yeah. And there's incredible fruits to draw from this uh, podcast. That's so right. Anyways, so listen again and again. Listen again and again. <laughs> we'll point out another three weeks. So we probably should close it up. Questions, comments, concerns, fears, anxieties. 
uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at, at gmail.com gmail. on Facebook. We got a couple of comments we got to catch up on. Sorry for the emails I haven't responded to. <laughs> and I think that's about it. That's it. All right. Have All a right, good uh, have a good week. Okay, bye-bye.